Some of you have been uh, part of Naperville Covenant Church long enough to remember the name Teresa Marcel. Uh, she was here before my time here, but I've made myself aware of her story. Teresa joined Naperville Covenant in May of 1998 with her husband, Rich, and she passed away nine years later in June of 2007. The cause of death was complications from hepatitis C and cirrhosis, uh, the result of several years of heavy drug and alcohol abuse before she came to know Christ. Her life started with difficulties. Alcoholic parents who were physically and verbally abusive, sexual abuse at the hands of an older cousin, resulting in depression and a series of bad and risky choices in relationships and drug use. But in the middle of it all, there was this little spark, this was gift for artistic expression. And when she eventually came to Christ, which itself was a tumultuous up-and-down journey, not a straight line of growth and towards perfection like the rest of us, right? <laughs> her art became a way of processing her pain and of expressing her hope. And she continued to paint and to bless others with her art. And so I put a couple of her pieces up here on the platform. Her uh, Rich, after she passed, Rich made several of her paintings available to us at church, and some were sold in uh, auctions and uh, other places, and several we've just kept here at the church to remember her. Uh, this one over here hangs in my office. I look at it every day. She painted it in 1999, and uh, not all of them are titled, but some of them are, and there's a little packet in the back that explains it along with her story. And this one is entitled New Beginnings, a phrase that obviously was packed with with meaning for Teresa as she found a new beginning in Christ after years of darkness. This one over here usually hangs in the lobby by the brown sofas where we like to relax and hang out. And um, this one appropriately titled for today is Lenten Meditation 2. And then she has a subtitle, Wounded for My Transgressions. Not ours, but mine. Obviously, it was a personal thing for her to realize the sacrifice of Christ. She painted this one in 2002, uh, this one in 1999. Here's a photo of one that Megan and I bought when they were made available to the church, and this hangs in our home. This one is entitled, One Word, Loss. It was painted in 2000, and she notes of this painting, she actually has a picture of it on the back also, in it, uh, in, and then typed in, it says, This painting conveys the deep sense of sadness when the realization hits that some things will never be. The experience of Teresa's life were particularly painful before and even after coming to faith. But she found a way to redeem those experiences in her art. And whether you like this style of painting or not, I happen to love it. I would fill our home with these if I could. <laughs> You have to marvel at the intricacy. Come up close and look at them afterwards. The intricacy, the play of color, and the way the light shines on it and looks different from different perspectives. The play of color and the way she lets it all tell her story of pain and of hope. Teresa did more than create beautiful art with the raw materials of her painful past. She also turned her attention to ministries of support and learning. 
was several years ago, she wrote up her story, and it's tacked on the back of these paintings that were donated to the church. And in there, she says, at one point, she says, I now host a women's sexual abuse survivor group, and I was leading a women's 12-step Bible study until I took this semester off for treatment of my liver. God has used my experiences. God has used my experiences to help people in recovery for several years now by leading 12-step and women's Bible studies. And then these two lines, he doesn't waste anyone. Everyone counts. God has used my experiences to help other people. God doesn't waste anyone. Everyone counts. And I might add that God does not waste our experiences either, even the painful ones. They definitely shape us, but in God's hand, that shaping can lead to all kinds of ministries, ministries of care, ministries of support, ministries of mentoring, ministries of empowering, ministries of giving hope. And in some gifted hands, it can result in beautiful works of art. With Teresa's story and Teresa's experience, we've come to the fifth message in our SHAPE series. The S of SHAPE stands for spiritual gifts. The H stands for heart or our passions. The A is for abilities. Last week we looked at P for our personality. And today we look at our experiences. We finish the word and next week we're going to wrap it all up and say, discovering your SHAPE for ministry, why it matters. (laughs) This is not just a quest for self-awareness. This is a quest to build up the church, the body of Christ, the only hope for the world. But I'm starting to preach next week's sermon, so I'll come back. And here's the point we've been making each week, that God has created and shaped each of us as unique individuals in his image, including the ways in which he has prepared us, wired us, and gifted us for service and ministry. And together we are discovering God's shape for each of us. And today then we look and we explore experience. And we'll see that when it comes to experience, we are shaped by the painful, we are shaped by the positives, and we're shaped for ministry. And that's where we want to head now. Today's scripture reading that Rose just read for us begins this way. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. These are words written by and shaped in the experiences of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in the first century is giving thanks here for the blessing of comfort that he has received from God. But he does so against the backdrop of of deep discouragement and pain. He refers here to troubles or some other versions of the Bible say afflictions. This is Paul's second letter to a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. The New Testament is arranged so that there's four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus from some different perspectives, and then a letter about the history of the church in Acts, and all of these letters, mostly written by Paul, but some by Peter and James and John, that tell the story of the spread of the church. And in this letter, Paul's dealing with some difficulties in that church, but he begins by speaking of his own troubles. And the timing of this letter is interesting when you know some history to it. Paul had experienced outstanding ministry success in a three-year ministry in Ephesus, which is in the part of of western modern Turkey. 
He experienced great success at the growth of the church in Ephesus, but that was then followed by a season of great pain and suffering. We don't even actually know what happened because Paul doesn't give any details, but he refers to it. Bible scholars then, of course, have offered several different theories that Paul suffered some kind of severe illness or he underwent um, some violent and excruciating persecution or could even be the serious and very demeaning criticism that he'd received from this church. There were people there that were ripping him apart. Can you imagine criticizing somebody who serves you in ministry? Never happens. (laughs) We read this and we are comforted as well. (laughs) It's messy, isn't it? Church is messy. And Paul says it's been messy for him. Whatever it was, he was so crushed by this. He was so overwhelmed by it all that he compares it even to experiencing death. I had the reading just through chapter, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 1, but verse 8 picks up here and says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. There's no question here that even the most devout follower of Christ the most faithful follower of Christ, will not escape seasons of discouragement and despair, seasons of pain. There is no promise in Scripture that if we just trust Jesus that we will experience great health, wealth, and prosperity. It is not written that way. And why? Because we follow Jesus. And what's one of the names that the prophet Isaiah gave Jesus 700 years before? The suffering servant. The whole ministry of Jesus is impacted by his own experiences of suffering on our behalf. Think about that. Even his ministry was shaped by the experience of pain and suffering. Apostle Paul follows that suffering servant, and as he follows him, he speaks of the comfort he's received and then the comfort that is shared. He rejoices not only in survival, but in the comfort he's received from God. It's a comfort that comes in understanding the sufferings of Jesus, but it's also a comfort, I believe, that comes simply in the experience of God's presence. When we spend time with God and we spend time listening to him and in his word, we experience the real presence of Christ in our alone times of sharing, in our corporate times of worship, in the sharing of the Lord's Supper is a time we come face to face with the experience of Christ reminds us of hope. And so that is part of our comfort. We need to understand that the English word for comfort is more than just a, it's not just a soothing symphony. It's not a comfort. It's not like a there, there, everything will be okay. The root word fort there, come is with, and fort is fortis. It's, it's the word that means brave, to make brave. God comforts, God makes us brave, God strengthens. And his comfort sometimes and often comes through his people. Our comfort received and comfort shared, the comfort we receive comes through God's people. As Pastor Diana shared this morning before she went to prayer, the comfort that she and Diana have received through you is the comfort of God. Paul says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The word comfort used at least seven times in this passage. And there it is. Our own experience of pain then, our own experience of comfort shapes us to comfort others, to minister to others, to encourage others. 
Now, we don't necessarily have to have experienced the same thing in order to comfort another. If you have an experience, don't say, I know exactly what you're feeling, because you don't. But say, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling your pain. <laughs> Although that's fallen on times too, but just we can still minister to another. You don't have to experience the same thing, but it does offer a special ability to bring comfort when we have walked down the same road. The road of grief, loss, job loss, divorce, depression, health crises, chronic illness, financial struggles, the loss of an infant, discrimination, abuse, rejection, broken relationships, failures. I probably haven't covered them all. Other ones have come to mind. By now, I've hit several that hit most of the room. Oh, and by the way, the word comfort in its original use means to come alongside. It's the same name. The comforter is the name that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel, where John, the fourth of the four Gospels, tells us a lot about Jesus getting his disciples ready that night before he went to the cross. And he promises the Holy Spirit to come, and he calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And literally, it means the one who will come alongside you and be my presence, the one who will come alongside you and give you encouragement, the one who will come alongside you and remind you what I said. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is the come-alongsider, and we too then become the come-alongsiders when we offer comfort to another. We are shaped by our experiences. It does not mean that those experiences are good, but you never want to call them good. We never want to blame God for sending them to make us learn something. But God uses them. Nothing's wasted. Romans 8, 28. Some of you know this one. If not, here it is. And I always like to include part of 29. We leave this part off. 28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And what is the good purposes of God? For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. (laughs) All these crazy things that happen, these painful things, we try to put in perspective, and we know this verse, and we put it on a plaque, and we say, God causes all things to work together for good. And what it's doing is it's shaping us to be more like Christ. And that's why it hurts sometimes. Because the same thing happened to him. We are shaped for God's purposes to be made more like Jesus. Now, there's a lot of emphasis on pain and difficulties. (laughs) We are shaped by the painful. Are we shaped by the positives too? Can't you just share some happy things with us, Pastor? (laughs) Yeah, we're shaped by the positives. In fact, as I reflected on this, I gave thanks for our church leaders who serve in areas of strength, and a lot of that is based on experiences and achievements. We could say, yes, achievements. Those aren't what save us, but they are part of what empower us to be in ministry. We're shaped by the painful, but we're shaped by the positives. All kinds of achievements. I think as I look across uh, several of you and think of those of you I've worked with in terms of leadership roles or planning or communicating about things or teamwork together, I think of vocational experiences that several of you have had in public relations and communication, for example, or in the construction industry, in the finance industry. 
I think of educational experiences in the areas of of accounting, in in teaching methods, in counseling and therapy, and the experience that you bring in positive ways. I think of the positive relational experiences that some of you have had in, in your marriage, in your parenting, and in friendship. And when you've had positive experiences there, you are able to bring those and encourage others on their way as they build a marriage or parent children. And even strong spiritual experiences of, uh, uh, of not being more spiritual, but being able to say, this is how I've experienced God. This is what I've experienced as I've grown in Christ. And we bring those positive, and I struggle again to use the word achievements, but these are positive things that God can weave together. Many of our leaders, many of you are putting the positives to work. Serving, helping, teaching, mentoring. We have mentoring going on with our confirmation students in our MOPS program, and informally in one-on-one relationships. I see you putting the positives to work and coordinating tasks, offering guidance, support others, leadership, and offering your gifts in many ways. The painful, the positive, along with spiritual gifts, our heart, passion, our personality, all shape us for ministry. As I thought about how we're shaped for ministry, I thought of our Stephen Ministry program and how we've seen this happen there. And I've asked Pastor Diana to come and share a little bit about how she's seen that, and then we have a a couple stories to come as well. So about eight and a half, nine years ago, uh, Diane Qualiana kept coming in my office saying, we have to have Stephen Ministry, we have to have Stephen Ministry. And I kept saying to her, I'm a a solo pastor right now. I don't have time to start one more thing, because it was right before Pastor Scott came. Um, But the reason she kept asking me is because she knew why it was good. And she actually was watching me try to do all the pastoral care and knew I needed help. And so Stephen Ministry is an extension of pastoral care. Once we as pastors have um, been met with the crisis of someone needing some extra care, we can then uh, empower some of our lay leaders to continue that ministry. So it it is a ministry where people meet one-on-one to, to listen and pray and uh, be Jesus with skin on for an hour a week with someone. And as much as we two pastors would love to be able to do that with every one of you, it's impossible. And so this group of people have been trained for 50 hours. And then this is the part that I love. I get to interview each person. And it's not an interview to see if they pass or they fail. It's an interview for them to tell me about their lives. Tell me why you will be helpful to someone else. And so I've listened to all of their stories, um, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, and then when someone comes to me and says, I need someone to sit with me, almost every time I'm like, ah, I know who you need. I know who you need. Because I have heard their stories. So I'm going to invite Wendell Gustafson up, and he's going to share a little bit about his story. It'll be like the interview all over again, right, Wendell? He'll tell us about that. And then I have two more stories of two other Stephen ministers who are um, trained as well. So many of you know me. Some of you know me as just somebody who likes to laugh and try to say funny things on occasion. Too often sometimes. But um, there was a season of my life where things weren't so funny, um, and it doesn't really jive date-wise with what you just said about eight or nine years ago, but it was more like almost two decades ago where 
I found a marital relationship coming to an end. Um, it's not hard to say that, you know. Um, <clears throat> had no idea that would happen. Anyway, um, it was, um, even though it would produce the three great kids and all that, so I had this um, trauma. And um, I had three um, excellent support people, a sister uh, who's very smart, um, PhD in psychology, and a covenant pastor, but none of them lived around here. And so phones, you know, were one thing. But the church came alongside, um, a terrific person who's probably out here, came and matched me up with uh, who's somebody who is here. And uh, it was um, really helpful. Um, found that he could really eat donuts and drink coffee very effectively but for that hour or so. But also had a really remarkable way of um, reflecting back things that I would say, hearing in a very active way what I was expressing, and then um, I'm going to call it like a verbal mirror he'd give to me. And I don't know if I'm meant to get into the, that kind of thing, but just sort of like a, a really good way of, uh, gee, I really said that, and I really sound like that, and it was helpful for me in um, <clears throat> processing everything, going through all that. So... Um, that's it. I think my two minutes are about up. But it was it was useful to have that in person um, as as another opportunity for me to get through that um, time. And and I have been inspired, asked asked, and then inspired to uh, get equipped um, in some way, hopefully successfully, to to also play a role such as that for those who may come along in a in that kind of situation. I've had some. Um, Scott reminded me I've had a couple of job bumps, um, speed bumps in the, in the since then, in fact. And so those kinds of life situations, as you were just speaking of, uh, are useful. And I would be available to, to help anybody through that. And then a happy ending as I met the woman of my dreams. And you know the rest. <laughs> Thank you, Wendell. I also have Darlene Brown's story, and I'm going to read it to you from her perspective. I was born into a Lutheran family who felt it was important to go to church on Sundays, as well as helping out where and when you could. I was raised with the mindset towards service. I went, I went through the usual childhood and young adult experiences, making wrong decisions and experiencing their consequences. It is our trials and experiences that make us compassionate and fill us with empathy. I've walked with my sister through her difficult divorce. Seven years later, walked with her through her cancer scare and surgery. When Michael and I got married, my father died of a sudden heart attack just days before our wedding. Two years later, God blessed us with two daughters. They went through the normal childhood issues, and Michael and I adapted as best we could. We got them through college, one got married, and the other started struggling with anxiety issues, mainly caused by bad relationships and sibling rivalry. She went through two major anxiety attacks that cost her two jobs. She went into the outpatient Linden Linden Oaks program. She still gets anxious, but she has a counselor and she's on daily medication. About a year after all this, 
I was diagnosed with cancer and went through five months of chemotherapy. The chemotherapy slowly affected my bone marrow and blood counts, and after the fifth round, my numbers dropped to almost zilch. For the next three months, I went through weekly blood and platelet transfusions, as well as shots to boost my white blood counts. Just about the time that things were leveling off, Michael had a heart attack. He had, he had two surgeries with a total of five stints. Lately, I've been watching my oldest sister struggle with MS and slowly go downhill. The past seven to ten years have filled me with more compassion and empathy, which is good for Stephen Ministry. God and I have locked, walked a long road in our journey, and it isn't over yet. I'm nervous about being a caregiver to a care receiver, but I also know that Christ by my, is at my side telling me what he is, he is, that he is ready and that he wants me to take the next step with his strength. Praise God. This is Susan uh, Zachariah. Am I saying that right? Okay. She's changed her name. Service as a Stephen minister is a relational supportive endeavor which is spiritually focused, scripturally grounded, informed and selected and informed by selected studies reflecting the human condition. That's a mouthful. Having that been said, if we do not have ears to hear, the supportive endeavor will fall flat. What if I can't hear what the other person is saying? What would give me ears to hear? What would teach me a heart language previously unknown? How could it become familiar to me? For me today, as I see it, is it, it is experience. But not just experience, rather experience soaked in the grace of God. It is my personal grace experience with the death of a child that tunes my ears to bereaved hearts cry. My personal grace experience with a crumbled worldly life that helps me recognize the language of of terror or despair. Personal grace experience with devastating family betrayal, shocking financial loss, temporarily homeless, and the brutal truth of compulsive disorders treatable only by 12-step programs that perhaps opens my ears a bit more to understanding the language of a fellow sojourner. Without God's grace, mixing with the personal painful experience, I wonder if I might continue to be my self-centered or hardened or closed or cool in some way, not clearly able to hear the specific language spoken by another. If you heard something in one of those stories that says, ah, I'm ready for a Stephen minister. You can approach me. You can approach Diane Qualiana. Um, you can approach uh, Melissa New. We would uh, be more than happy to get you connected with a Stephen minister. Or if you feel like I've got a lot of experience and I'm supposed to be trained to be a Stephen minister, we can. If we can get a group of nine to twelve people, we'll do the training again. So um, know that this is how God can work. Thank you, Diana and Wendell and Darlene and Susan. Let's just have a quick wrap-up here. But um, it's all part of being shaped so that we might serve effectively. And it, 
I just want to put it in this context of following Jesus. Obviously, following Jesus means there's a lot of positives. I mean, he's the guide to discipleship. I mean, what do we say when we want to know what to do? What, WWJD, right? What would, what would Jesus do? <laughs> but I want us to grab that also, how we are shaped even by his suffering. As I was working on this this week, I came to a, a passage of Scripture that for years has been one of my favorites. It's from Hebrews uh, chapter 2, one of those letters later in the New Testament. The writer of the Hebrews says this, For this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, humans here, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and high, faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And then hear this. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted as well. This is the Jesus that we choose to follow. This is the Jesus that we choose to learn from. This is Jesus that we choose to uh, give our life to. And it is a matter of choice. An old anonymous quote that I found this week says this. Someone said to a sufferer, suffering colors life, doesn't it? And the sufferer replies, yes, but I propose to choose the color. You get it? <laughs> the suffering's going to happen and it's going to color life. We can choose the color. We can choose what we do with it. Suffering tragically colored the life of Teresa Marcel. But she chose colors that speak of hope and minister to others. We encourage you then to do a process of examining your experiences. I've put some questions in your outline there. They're here. I just want us to take those to prayer now as we reflect on how God is at work in the midst of all of this. Let's pray. Lord God, we've stepped into some areas that are areas of significant pain for people in this room. We stepped into areas that might be a surprise to others that we, we didn't know all this, and yet, Lord, nothing escapes you. Jesus, I pray that this process of learning how we're wired and learning what our experiences do might draw us closer to you, Lord. To draw near to even your suffering so that we might draw even closer in to the hope and the grace that you give. We want to offer our lives to you in all things, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.